Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. the house of pod people don't know but that's the actual lyrics to that song that they're hearing here in the intro oh lizzie this is a big big this is a this is a big day our listeners might notice that we kind of skipped some time recording and it's i think specifically because we couldn't think of things to talk about other than the election and everyone was so kind of exhausted from the election and the stress and the waiting. And we're just like, I don't think we could handle, I couldn't handle talking about it. You know, you and I had conversations where you said, Lizzie, what would you do if, or what do you think? I think Trump's going to win again. What would you do if Trump won again? And I would say to you, we had this conversation several times. I don't want to think about it. I can't, I'm going to actively repress that part of my brain. So I couldn't do a show. (laughs) No, exactly. I couldn't concentrate very much on anything last week. Um, so it's Sunday. We're going to aim to release this uh, on Monday. And as of now, um, the, pretty much everyone uh, except for Trump and a couple of his close allies like Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz, two people who inexplicably are like Hold attached on. to him <laughs> at the hip now and will do whatever bidding he, ha- he, he asks. With the exception of a couple people, basically everyone has projected, you know, uh, Joe Biden to be the winner. So we couldn't really focus all that much last week. You and I both sound a little bit rough because I think we both celebrated last night. Well, I think I hope everyone will remember the moment that we found out. So I'll tell you, I was actually sleeping in and I, and I heard people just screaming outside, screaming, just like, whoa, yeah. And it went away and then it kept coming back. It went like waves. And I'm like, my first impression, really, to be honest, I'm a little embarrassed, was, oh, my God, what effing sporting event is happening right now at <laughs> 8.20 in the morning that I have to hear the screams on a Saturday? I don't understand. And then it took me a solid 30 seconds, and I was just – got it jumped out of bed, opened up windows. I couldn't really see anyone. I could only hear it. Yeah. And then, you know, then Tyler, my boyfriend, was like, oh, my God, did you hear it? He was just so excited. It was like – it was just so – it felt so good. I could – I felt everyone saying this and I, I felt like I could breathe again, like easy yeah. and like a little bit lighter. How did you well, find your, out? Your neighborhood is much cooler than mine. I found out because I've been obsessively watching the news for the past, <laughs> like, you know, week. Right. And uh, so I was watching it like very closely. Um, and, and it was weird how it happened. You know, it was unlike other presidential elections because it kind of all leaked out so slowly. Right. In some ways, that's probably good probably keeps people from acting like 
too passionately, which might right. be a good thing because you kind of like learn it over time, um, good and bad and both good and bad ways. So that's probably overall, I think, uh, a good thing. So, um, I, you know, I, I found out and it's still kind of processing in my mind. You know, I'm, I'm not totally, I do feel better. Like, I don't feel that existential dread. I didn't wake up this morning, pick up my phone to be like, oh, dear God, what, what awful news is there today? Even though it still could be, I just right. didn't feel that way. Um, but you know what it is, though? Here's, here's the thing. We've talked about before how, you know how, like, you do a long week of call, and you're on call that week. It's really stressful. You can be called in at any time. It's just, like, overall malaise that you feel. Yeah. And you can't relax. And um, the, the joy you feel when call is over is nice, but in my mind, it usually isn't equivalent to the malaise you felt during call. Right. So the negatives of being on call outweigh a little bit of the positives. Ex of not exactly. Being on call. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm still kind of, I'm even though I'm feeling good, mm -hmm. and maybe I'm just dead on the inside. I don't know. Cause right now, I'm not like so exuberant at, or right. as exuberant as no. I would hope to be. I mean, yeah. part, of, part of it though, I think. And, and, and I'm so happy he won. I don't care what margin Biden won by. There is a part of my brain, though, that's still working through what this means for the country and, like, what this says about the country. A little bit of the damage has been done. You know, yeah. I, in my mind, we talked about this, I think, before, but I don't know if we ever did on air. But, you know, I have an intense pride for this country. I am, like, the son of immigrants. And when you're the son of immigrants, you look at America the same way like a born again Christian looks at religion. Yeah. You're like the most hardcore. You're the most into it. We didn't become Americans by accident or birth. We chose it. So I'm a very proud American and it really hurt me personally that, you know, this, this last so four years. Yeah. And, and that, that was so close. I mean, a story I, I don't even know if I told you, and I should probably check with my parents before I tell the story, but uh, a story that I don't even think I told you was when um, Trump was elected, my parents got a phone call and it was someone just on the other line saying, <clears throat> I don't know how they, how this person knew them. We didn't, they never figured out who this person was, but this other, this other person was like, we're going to get all you fucking people out of this country now. And my parents are like, what? And he's like, all you fucking Arabs are going to get the fuck out of this country. First of all, we're obviously not Arabs. We're Iranians, big difference. So it's insulting there just on that level itself, you know, but like, that's the kind of stuff that happened that like, I'm like, even though he lost, I'm not going to forget that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I it, it's those little Muslim things, then. those little stories. You yeah. Conversation. I'm like, I'll tell, you know, for you, I'll tell people I'm Muslim. Like, you know, that's, they're going to root out the Muslims and the Jews and neither one of us are practicing religions. But like, if you trace back not that far ago, we're both those things, you know? Yeah. Um, it is. I, I agree with you. Yesterday was, and today I, I, I agree. I'm kind of back to my normal, but yesterday I did feel so happy. And also like there was a lot of moments of crying. Like a lot of this stuff was moving. Um, really like I felt, and again, I was already kind of baseline on edge and then I was drinking. <laughs> so <to> celebrate. <laughs> there was champagne and, you know, trying to make some blue drinks and purple drinks and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I was laughing, I was crying, I was happy. And now I feel like much more back to losing neutral. But um, the good thing, you know, I, I understand the overwhelming kind of negatives that we can think through. But the things that I'm trying to focus on are the following. One, it's really hard to get rid of an incumbent, period. No matter right. how toxic, evil, right. fascist, dictatorial, it, whatever. It's this is the possible. 11th time in our history, apparently, that it, that's hard. happened. Right. Yeah. Number two is um, 2020 and the four years have been so bad. But I do think the whole BLM movement and like being much more aware and woke in, um, in a really meaningful way. I personally have learned so much. There's been, I've read so much. Um, I've just been like, just my mind has changed. I'm a different person. And I think that I understand some of the struggles, you know, more. And the third thing is Kamala Harris. Like that's just, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. My God. The first, we have a, uh, for the first time we have a, first gentleman although he's a second gentleman i guess right he's but, a second gentleman and and he's jewish by the way yeah i know so like there's there's so much there's so much good to come out of this yeah. and you're right even the last four years we've learned a lot 
it's you know people say don't take it personally but you know you're you you're a jewish doctor i'm a middle eastern doctor we live in the bay area this is a president and an administration that has been pretty anti-science yeah. not particularly um jewish or iranian friendly right. it's hard for us to not take these things personally yeah you know what i mean and uh i'm really happy and, yeah. and you're for the listeners lizzie is tearing up right now and it's i'm tempted to push your buttons to make this really (laughs) make these waterworks really flow but i respect you too much to do that i I, am especially last 24 hours i love it i think it's great man i wish we were celebrating together i'm bummed that we're not um i I actually i i do think this though part of me i need to see biden in the white house like (laughs) at that speech last night like there was this pop and when he was giving his acceptance speech or Betty, like his yeah. his victory speech and there was a pop I'm like oh my god someone tried to kill him i was like freaking out and then the whole time i'm like oh my god someone put a mask on him right now i'm just so worried about him like i'll believe it when his team is in the white house cleaning out all the upper deckers that trump and his kids will inevitably leave for them in the white house toilets <laughs> you mean turds upper de- yeah it's uh, so an upper decker um yeah and then one thing on the speech like first of all i thought it was adorable and really like warm my heart to see him jog out there oh yeah that was a nice little that was a nice little stab at at trump wasn't it that he could just jog out there he's like looks so young and healthy i'm surprised he didn't have like a ramp for no reason just to go (laughs) up and down right just to run up and down right and then right just put a random staircase there just to show us right right do like you know one-handed push-ups like (laughs) Indisa did back then on the academy awards and i just the speech was so positive i felt it really like uplifting and um, and he was even like self-deprecating. He's like, you know, I've lost a couple times myself because the man ran for president two other times and didn't get chosen. And um, yeah. and I thought it was really touching to hear him say like all the positives, all the you know the stuff I've heard a lot. But then to like rip on himself a little bit, I thought was really awesome. You know, it made me feel oh my good god to watch it. There was it was like watching the speech, and there was no insulting. There was no weird toxicity. It was like positive and it was about trying to unite people and and i'm sure people on the right will say that's bs but i mean it does seem like that's his brand so i i don't think it's that far off i think it's all real yeah it it was like full sentences i mean i i i had this strange weird tickle in in my chest i'm like what is that is that pride what is this (laughs) and it and i start to feel a little bit of it and man it it was so fucking nice it was, it was so nice. And, and one thing I was talking about last night with Tyler and some friends was really like, you know, with Obama, everyone was like, oh, America's over racism, post-racial, blah, blah, blah. And then what, what I realized, I was like, oh, my God, what we needed was an old white man to usher in a new brand of America. They weren't mm-hmm. willing to let go of all the racism and the bias and misogyny with Obama. We needed an old white man to introduce us to a new chapter. And yeah. I just I was like. I guess that's fitting. I guess Trump was like, just showed us that we were just too, <laughs> like we were too, we were overconfident in our right. <laughs> the post-racial thing. And I right. think that's what we learned. Like just that, you know, it was a reality <sighs> check, you know, from a yeah. reality star, if you will. And <laughs> it just, you know, now I hope that it's a, a bit, there. I mean, whatever. I'm not like blindly optimistic. It just felt good yesterday, you know? It feels really good. It does feel good. It, it's taking a while for it to sink in with me. Um, but every day going forward where I'm not going to have to listen to Trump. I mean, he's not going away. He's going to have this power, (laughs) but it's, it's, uh, it's going to be so nice to not always hear that negative voice that the Stephen Miller writing where it's all about like death and destruction of the American way. And it's going to be so nice. And I hear all that garbage, man. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of Fox news and it's, gonna, it's, it's, it's funny. Say, have you been watching it? And like, Oh, as of yesterday was the only time in my life I've sort of wanted to watch it to see like, yeah. how, they're, how are they, how are those guys doing Kaveh? Can you update us? Yeah. So first of all, uh, let me give credit to where credit's due for the most part, like their typical like newscasters are pretty reasonable. You know, they, they play a lot more deference to this whole legal challenges that any other CNN, MSNBC, whatever does. Yeah. They, they give a lot of like, well, we still have to wait to see what, that ha- what happens with that. But so far, we don't see any evidence that's going to work. You know, they, they, they pay a lot more attention. But for the most part, they're pretty reasonable. It's, it's when you get to the other guys that's really 
uh, it gets really weird. Like I was watching these clips from Laura Ingram show and you know, it's like, I, I tweeted about this, but I think it's true. I want to tell you too. Um, you, you know how like crazy people are like the, the newscaster, the reporter's talking to me, the, the person on the TV is talking to me. I can feel it. I know it. They're sending me signals. Yeah. Like in this case, Trump would be right if he were saying that because these like Laura Ingram, these like talking heads on Fox, they are specifically talking directly to him. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it's like it's for a message for one person and one right. person alone and it's him. And they're trying their best to give him a soft landing. Like Laura Ingram was on her show being like, you know, if he gives a gracious speech now, his followers will love him even more because he's a very special boy, a very, very special boy. He's a good and special and smart boy. And, and he'll be, and this is, and, and the, her words, I, her actual words were, and he'll be a kingmaker in the Republican party for years to come, a mm. kingmaker. Like oh, she's trying yeah. so hard to like yeah. ease him into it. Yeah. And so like it, even they seem to be, uh, slowly getting on board so that's right. that's that is positive i think what skeletons do you think like literally dead people do you think trump has on like ted cruz and lindsey graham that they can't just like move on and just be cool I, like be I, cool guys I, I don't know given the shit that trump said about ted cruz his dad his wife i just don't get that yeah. that i mean I, I thought ted cruz would have been more of a maverick at this point I mean, Mm-hmm. Don't I don't use know that word. That's McCain. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Well, By the she, way, what? if if Arizona pulls through, I take back half of the shit I've said about Arizona. <laughs> they haven't totally the proved through. Said about Florida, right? <laughs> oh no, I'm not. No, Florida. I'm doubling down on. But I will give. Uh, I will give Arizona their due. Georgia. I will no longer complain. Bless you. I will no longer complain about movies being filmed in Georgia for all their tax breaks they do there because yeah. if they pull through that would be huge yeah. and philly philly uh, have you been to philly yeah my sister like spent like i think like eight years out there i visited a whole bunch of times i didn't know that it, yeah. yeah philly I, I talk a lot of shit about too mostly in regards to their sports fanatics and their mm-hmm. sports like teams but um i, I give them uh, full credit too they these those people were huge anyways yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess we should talk about a little bit about medicine. I'm very excited that the first thing Biden talked about in a speech was like instituting a new coronavirus exactly. science-based, fact-based, evidence-based team to help handle it. Because, you know, my biggest fear in America is that people are going to be like, oh, let's see what Biden's going to do now. And people, that ship has sailed. Coronavirus yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. And like, you just can't stop it. Like, no matter how perfect you are, unless everybody goes under 100% shelter-in-place lockdown for two weeks or more, there's nothing that we can do anymore at this point. But it was wonderful to hear him say, this is the first thing I'm going to do, you guys. Like, I said I it, would, and I'm going to do it. it I, and I have to say, I am a little worried because um, it's not going to look good for a while. It's going to get worse because as the winter's coming, it's cold. It's getting colder. Yeah. People are going to be more indoors. We are going to we're already getting a lot of people with COVID fatigue just dealing with this, but it's going to get worse with cold and flu seasons. And so I'm, I am very concerned that it's going to get worse. I wasn't happy by the way. I know people online are like, Oh, you, you guys don't care about the, 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 the people celebrating in the streets. And, and yeah, I, I saw all those people celebrating out in the streets after Trump lost and they were all like wearing there are, some of them were wearing masks. Most of them were wearing masks, but not everyone was. Yeah. And I don't love that either. I'm not happy yeah. about that. To, I, I think, I personally think there should be a national mask mandate, period. And I think yeah. it should have happened as soon as Fauci said wear masks, which was, I think, four or five months ago. I, I can't remember the date. But yeah. do you think if you were Biden's political advisor, you would tell him maybe don't make it a mandate because you need to appease some of these ardent Trumpers who say it's your civil rights to wear or to not wear, because again, at this point, you have no chance at controlling the virus. So should you just appease the Trump base and not do it? Just curious what you think. It's a bit of a mind game. I think he has to do what he's campaigned on, which is listen to the science. And the science would say that a mask mandate would really have a big effect. But I think he can do a better job of tying it to the economy. Uh, You know, a lot of people are afraid because this is what Trump kept saying, that that there'd be a complete lockdown again on the country. And Trump and Biden has not said that. But 
he is willing to do like partial lockdowns in places where it's really bad. And, and that's something he has to be able to do when he needs to. If he can tie like wearing a mask, doing all the right policies to improving our outcomes so our economy can get moving again, if he can make that argument um, and, and show us examples like San Francisco, for example, where it's, where it's working, like, I think that would be the smartest move. Right, yeah. Because it, you know what we saw with this? You know, you, we talked about how many people ended up voting for Trump. You know, when they did exit polling and they talked to them, a lot of these people, it's, it's about the economy for them. Yeah. Like, they were able to look past how bad COVID was. Right. And they're worried about COVID too. But the more important thing to them was the economy. So we have to do a better job of tying this to the economy. The reason we need to get things under control and listen to the science is the more we do that, the better we can have things under control. We can be like China, the place where this virus started and is now much more open than we are. Yeah. Or we could be like Australia or New Zealand. Or you maybe never quite like that at this yeah. point in particular, but we could be better. All right, we could talk more about this, but uh, we should discuss some medicine stuff. And uh, we have a great guest today. So I'm looking forward to this conversation with Dr. Isabel Malone. She's an emergency room physician at the University of Chicago. We're going to talk to her about racism in medicine, microaggressions, and I think a little bit of what allies can do in this setting. So um, before we get there, make sure you follow us at Twitter at the House of Pod. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, thank you to Nadine for uh, helping us get these episodes out. And thank you to everyone who voted. Thank you to everyone who phone banked, who canvassed, who spent money at, at stores buying Biden-Harris stuff, uh, giving the Democrats money. Hopefully they will stop texting me now. It's getting ridiculous. Um, stay tuned. And welcome back today. We have Isabel Malone, Dr. Isabel Malone. She is a emergency room physician at the University of Chicago. She has an interest in highlighting the need for diversity and inclusion in medicine. And she is a second year medical education fellow there. Thank you so much, Dr. Malone, for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, I guess we should start, you know, there's a lot going on in the world today. What are you talking um, about? <laughs> elections and so forth and so on but yeah. i just wanted to start with um there are people in the world who still believe in science um kave and i are among those um and and there are a lot of people in the world who think that like data science and facts are objective pieces of information mm. and that they may not be subject to like racism and bias can you give us examples of how that's probably not accurate maybe some historical examples or any personal examples that you want to highlight Oh man, so like, where do we start, right? I mean, um, so I was talking to a friend today and I was telling her that I have all this election day anxiety, but I think it's more just like 2020 culmination anxiety because we've had a pandemic. Um, we still have a pandemic, excuse me. Um, and we're in the middle of an election year, but then there's also just been a huge racial... I don't even know how to say it correctly, but like there's just been so many racial tensions in society in general. And so to act like racism doesn't exist is just crazy. You see it, I mean, you see it everywhere. Um, I guess we can talk about medicine because that's it's a medicine podcast, but I think the easiest way since my, my interests lie in education, it would be in you know, the need for being purposeful about who you admit to your residency programs, what type of medical students you recruit. And that is, I think, maybe the closest thing to my brain when I think, when I hear that question. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, and you, I think, nailed it. I think even people who acknowledge that there is racism out in the world, in the medical community, like to believe it's not there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, I guess it doesn't stand to reason in my mind that if it's everywhere else, it wouldn't be in our field as well. Yeah. So um, what, what do you mean by that when you say uh, in terms of watching who comes in or, or monitoring who comes in or being selective about who comes in? What does that mean? Yeah, so I think we can call it affirmative. You know, the easiest way to relate to it would be affirmative action. People say, 
what affirmative action started out as and what we think about it today are two completely different things, depending on who you ask. Um, but I think it's just a broader sense, the need for diversity and inclusion. I think advocating for that in, in most academic circles, that's just like very understood and very wanted and very needed. But when you think of, I, I don't know how to say it like politely, so I'm kind of hesitating. A you don't bit. have to say it politely, say it <laughs> any way you like. Have you, have you noticed that we're not very polite? That no. You don't have to worry about that. No, no I, I think some, being polite oh, is, um, no, I think being polite has actually led to some terrible outcomes in the last 20 years. You know, I think that concept of saying things like- <laughs> We're anti-polite. No, I mean like aggressively polite to the point where yeah. you say things like, yeah. I don't see color. Yeah. I think we've learned that as white liberal people, I would probably mm -hmm. classify myself as that, that saying I don't see color 10 years ago is, was, was kind, was the right thing to say. But we know yeah. now that's bullshit. Yeah. If you say that, you're doing the world a disservice. You're doing black people, people of color a disservice. Mm -hmm. and because our listeners can't see you, you're mm -hmm. a beautiful young woman. Can you tell us <laughs> yeah. how you identify yourself? We'll yeah, post for, a photo of you, but like, I think it's yeah. important for our listeners to, to know what your background is. Yeah, no, for sure. So I identify as Afro-Caribbean um, and then also just in the broader term black. So I was born in the Dominican Republic um, and I grew up in between Michigan, New York and Florida. But I like moved when I was about seven years old from the Dominican Republic. So I'm also like very much a first generation immigrant. Um, so, and I'm a woman, I identify as a woman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. First of all, I, I like to go back to that whole, I, we're not totally white. I consider myself off-white, so well, that's, check a box. that helps. You, yeah. I, then I'm, I'm forced to, yeah, check I'm, I'm Caucasian. I'm culturally Jewish, but like I yeah. live in the world and walk through the world as a white woman, you know? And no, yeah, no, no. Oh, I get a bunch of white privilege. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> I get, right. I get all of that. That's great. Right. Yeah. Trust I me. Get, it's, if, if, if you've had it, privilege. it's fantastic. I can't <laughs> tell you enough. If you have the option, take it. It's a, it's a good option. So, um, so affirmative action is an important thing also to highlight. I think it has such a bad reputation. And if you step back and, and look at the data, I, I've read recently that the people who benefited the most from affirmative action are actually white women. Isn't mm -hmm. that something that you've learned about and um, spoken about? Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, that is, at a nutshell, affirmative action literally just means rec aggressively recruiting a group that you need in your institution, basically, right? So women um, used to be underrepresented in medicine, and they still are in certain fields of medicine, but for a while, and we should say that affirmative action is throughout all of like society, right? So this happened in with like jobs everywhere, um, even outside of medicine. So white women were recruited pretty heavily, right? It was easy to do that. It was easy for, it was easier for white people to recruit other white people, even if they were women, than it was to recruit black people. So absolutely. Um, and I think the bigger thing with affirmative action is that people believe it's you're decreasing standards um, by letting in people of color, letting in women that for some reason you just decided that a substandard application was better because they were a person of color. So they're going to let them in, which like I hope we all know is why. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll just say that. I mean, affirmative action is not <laughs> lowering standards, right? It's about mm -hmm. just trying to be diverse. That's it. That's the bottom line. And as equal and superior as you ever intended to be. Yeah, but I think, it, I, so you say that really easily, but I mean, um, I'm sure you guys, uh, I, what month was it? I feel like 2020 has been like 36 <laughs> months long. <laughs> so I think, life. yeah, so I think it actually was in, oh, April where the Journal of the American, the Journal of the American Heart Association, um, that paper by Dr. Nathan Wong out of Penn, he's, he's one of the EP cardiologists out of Penn. Are you guys familiar with this journal, this paper? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So let me pull it up because I want to be able to quote it fully for you. Um, but basically it was a, it was a white paper from the AHA and a white paper is supposed to be an expert opinion on a subject and it was examining diversity in cardiology. And it was a 17-page paper where Dr. Wong essentially argued that um, affirmative action was harmful. Right. Okay. Yes. Possible, you remember this one? Yes. Now, now that you <laughs> no, say I it, I remember. I remember. <laughs> he, I never read the paper, but remember yeah. seeing like the reports of him being like, "Wow, wow." Yeah. It, it was not well received. Everything went crazy. Wait. What? Um, I'm sorry. So, so tell tell Lizzie tell Lizzie more about what it said. Yeah. yeah so basically, this was just a 17-page article that was published where Dr. Wong argued that affirmative action basically hurt Asian Americans 
because um, there simply weren't enough qualified Black and Latinx applicants. And by letting them in continuously, we were hurting the unqualified Black people and then the Asians that were looked over. Um, I should say at this time, like the Journal of the Heart, American Heart Association did retract that article, but it was only after there was a huge Twitter explosion. So it's it's easy for us to say that like this is what affirmative action is, but yeah. in so many parts of medicine, it is still regarded as something very, very different, that this man was able to publish a peer-reviewed paper in right. a pretty big deal medical journal right. with the support of the publisher, basically just saying, this is what affirmative action is and it's harmful. So I mean, I, say, I, to I totally remember, and mm -hmm. you're right, it must have been before COVID because it feels like at least 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like three weeks ago, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, 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 2020 time doesn't matter. It's all relative, yeah. it's fine, just forever. So let, let me ask you a question. There is a term called microaggressions, which is a relatively new term for, for a lot of us. Um, can you define what that is? And can you tell us a little bit about what maybe either you've experienced or what's been described in medicine? Yeah, so microaggressions, I think, um, I wish I could, you guys could show this, this beautiful comic because it's basically described as these small little, um, racist or sexist or some form of bias that get like basically thrown at people throughout their entire day until they basically just explode. And then when someone explodes over a quote unquote small thing that happened, you see have the background of everything else that they endured during that day. And so the comic shows like a mosquito stinging this person once and then throughout the day it's like 35 stings so that the like 36 time that they're stung, they just like blow up and explode. And that's basically the concept of a microaggression. Every single black person in medicine can tell you all sorts of microaggressions. Every single woman in medicine can tell you about all sorts of microaggressions. If you're a black woman, you probably have just like this unique little box of microaggressions. Um, in terms of personally, it's just little things like, oh, well, of course you're here. Like you're black. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, what are you talking about? And that's just assuming that like you were let in because you're black now because you have qualifications to be here. Um, being called nurse is like a great microaggression. If you're like me, you've been called like, um, I've been called a transporter before. I've been called the janitorial staff and this will happen all on one shift. And so patients will refer to me as nurse like 18 times. And then a patient will ask me to transport their patient to the like, where are we going upstairs? Aren't you here to take me upstairs when they've met me as their doctor multiple times? Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we've heard that from uh, other women who've come on the show for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Lizzie and I have talked about that as well. She's had some experience of that as well uh, in yeah. terms of people think she's a nurse. My wife, who's a, a doctor as well, gets it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I do not get that. Um, I don't get that. I mean, even when I was young enough to be a medical student, people assumed I was a doctor, you know, I would yeah. walk into a room with a, a female attending and, um, you know, we'd have short coats, which is the universal signifier of like a trainee and mm -hmm. the attending would walk in the room, but the patient would start talking to me, you know, mm -hmm. cause I'm like a large white male. Uh, and like, I'm like, and I would keep like sort of trying to defer to the attending, but that's, that's something I, I've, I've seen as well, for sure. Yeah, I, was, I was about to say, Isabel, you can't tell, but Cave is like well over six foot. So like <laughs> you definitely, you know, and I, again, there's articles and data that suggest a white male who's tall conveys mm -hmm. more confidence and gets more respect, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's just- Get away with crazy stuff. Right. You guys should really try it. <laughs> right. Well, right. I think, for sure. But then there's also like smaller things like in the ER, um, there was, there was another, there was a paper that just came out in the American Journal of, Amer of Emergency Medicine, which like proved that nurses will lay out suture material for the male residents much more often than the female residents. And if the female residents ask for that, they'll be like, well, that's your job. It's not mine. So I think that's another example of a microaggression. Like the men can just kind of like walk in, suture, leave. And then the woman has to like go collect her own supplies like wash off the wound, suture it, throw everything away, which is like you should be able to do anyways. It's not like we need nurses to like collect our own supplies, but it's just another example of like, if I have to do that, 
for every single patient that I see that adds at least 10 more minutes to every patient encounter. And then your attending is probably like, oh, she's way slower than her male counterpart. She needs to work on being better. So like, that's another example mm. of like how microaggressions can come at you in so all sorts of ways. So, I mean, we'll talk about how to, um, you know, incorporate into medical education a little bit more diversity, but in the moment nowadays that, that we're more aware of what microaggressions are and, mm -hmm. and again, maybe in your experience, what, what do you do? Like if that happens, what, what would you advise me to do? Obviously Kaveh's never experienced it. <laughs> um, I, I would, what what yeah. do you do? Do you call it out in the moment? Do you have a group meeting and not call out a single individual and just say, these are things that we need to pay attention to? Like what is the best technique to call attention to it and hopefully rectify it? Yeah, so I can tell you what I do. Um, I don't know if it's the best, but I just do what I feel like I can do. Because if you call out every single little microaggression, you're you're just never going to get through your day. So I just decide when and how to do it. And most people don't even recognize that they're doing this stuff, right? So the nurse might not even recognize that she's doing it or he's doing it. And so a lot of times, if it's something quick like, hey, nurse, hey, my name's Dr. Malone, I'm your doctor. That I call out all the time, just because I think it's important for people to know who they're dealing with in terms of patient care. Um, other things I tend to call out, but I don't do it. Like, I think you win more bees with honey, even though I think this is dumb. I think you can get upset about this stuff. And I don't think you just like need to smile and bear it. But like the way I communicate is more like, hey, like, I don't know if you realized it, but maybe you can work on not doing that so much because this is what I hear instead of like, you need to stop doing that. That might be your communication style. I'm not hating on that. I think women can express themselves however they want to. Um, but I don't know. That's how I do. I do yeah. do that as well. I am when as soon as I walk into a patient's room these days, I immediately introduce myself. So I like beat them to the punch. So they don't, mm -hmm. I think I didn't even realize until we're talking about it now, but I do that now immediately. So I don't give them an opportunity to miss, you know, identify me. I just mm -hmm. say, I'm Dr. Ross and I'm working yeah. as part of the GI team or whatever. And um, mm -hmm. I do just try to anticipate uh, the error that will inevitably happen. <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't mean we should always introduce ourselves. I mean, that's a pretty reasonable yeah. thing to do. We yeah. should be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, we should. But I know I, I noticed that I do it immediately. I don't yeah. give any cause. I just yeah. Yeah. Before they ask you for like to help them go to the bathroom or like to, <laughs> to fix their IV, you're like, you, you're, yeah, you got to nip down the bud. It's true. A lot of patients do ask for help for like calling their family or getting to the bathroom. And, and I'm sure that women get that a lot more than than men. Yeah. Um, so what how do we do that as far as um, medical education? How do we incorporate anti-racism in, um, into curriculums? How do we diversify our doctor population? So that's a great question and one that I'm trying to answer because I'll be honest, like I'm an emergency medicine doctor and I am getting a master's in education. I'm not an anti-racist scholar. Like there are people who build their entire lives and careers out of this and I'm not one of them. So right now I'm learning what that means and what that looks like. Um, but I think there are definitely, you, need, you just need to be intentional about it, especially the anti-racism piece. So this curriculum that we're building at the University of Chicago right now, we're literally starting from the ground up and we're, we want to, we want to start at like the history of racism in medicine, <laughs> you know, which sounds really intense, but I think that to understand what racism is, you have to understand how it affects everything in medicine. And so we're meeting with historians and we're trying to have them kind of ask, you know, ask them what, what should we include, what don't we include. And then we also make it personal. So you can make it personal whatever institution you're in, but we're looking into the University of Chicago's history and we're saying like, hey, this land started out, they bought it with slave money, you know? So I think owning up to that stuff and starting, and starting at the foundation, I think is so important because I think for so long we've ignored all these things that just like, color everything we do in medicine. And if we can't start admitting that this is a thing, we're never going to get there. And then I think you layer on it. And then once you define it, then you say, how do you fix this? And what are the next steps? And that's what we're trying to build. And I think unless you're an anti-racism specialist, an expert, you just need like an excellent team. So you can kind of act like the organizer, but you just pull in people that have been doing this work. This like this work's become like sexy in 2020, but there have been people that's been doing that have been doing it forever. And so like find them and ask them to help you and then pay them for it. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a great idea. I was also thinking, you know, when I daydream about how that kind of um, kind of sociology aspect to medicine mm -hmm. should be incorporated into like police training, like police, especially <laughs> Chicago police, which I've learned a lot about in the last year, 
should learn about the history of racism, specifically maybe in their community so that it's more, I guess, relevant or they feel it more. <laughs> like I think people connect yeah. more to their local geography. Yeah. And, and that is, it must be mandatory part of any police training. Yeah, I mean. No comment. We can talk about that. Don't worry, you can. <laughs> Just, Whatever you want to talk about, we will go to. Don't worry. There's no limits on. It does I, not have to be strictly medical. Right. I mean, no. I like. In a nutshell, I think that there are obviously a lot of very good, in, you know, individual police officers and people that go into the force for doing good. But I think at the root of it, I think police in America, it's just been like a corrupt system, and so I think we just need to start over. And that doesn't mean like get rid of all the police officers, but just think about, you know you hear defund police and I, and I do think that that's a good idea, but it's defund and reinvest into mental health counselors, reinvest into people, social workers, reinvest right. into people and let the police handle the things that the police are trained to do. And they, their training needs to change too, but like we just need a whole, as a whole nother conversation. Yeah. The PR around that defund the police slogan was not great. It's it, the marketing, the messaging of it missed a lot of people. Um, the intentions, just as you said, are, are great. The thoughts behind it are great. And I think very few people who actually say that are saying, get rid of police. I, in fact, yeah. I, I think there's a very small minority of people and they mean these other things like take things off their plates that, you know, you don't want to have on their plates that, that right. other people like mental health workers can do. You should take care of that for them. Yeah. Um, so two, two, two more questions for you here. One, um, what do you recommend for allies in medicine, uh, white and off-white, uh, male, uh, what what can what do you recommend we do to help? If there is at least one thing to remember, what what should we remember? So I think one is hard. So I'm going to try to give you two. Please give us as many as you like. <laughs> I think the first thing we talked about microaggressions briefly. If you see that, just call that shit out. Don't don't wait for the person that's getting the aggression thrown at them to do it. Just call it out. It is one of the best things when someone's like, hey, nurse, and I hear a resident or a colleague say, that's Dr. Malone, right? So it doesn't have to come from you. So just make sure that, you know, your voice, you know, unfortunately has more power than my voice to like use your voice whenever you see it. So that's one. That's, um, that's something that's, you can do like tomorrow on shift. That's a um, great, that's a great point. Like, um, and I don't, yeah. I don't want to interrupt you, but you no, know, if you, if you call it the microaggressions, then yeah. you're worried about being considered a, a bitch or an angry mm -hmm. black woman or all the yeah. terrible tropes. Right. For sure. And, and, or just like mean, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if someone else does it, then yeah. it just totally just mellows out like the, mm -hmm. the tension, you know, and then there's, you know, um, anyway, I just, I think that's a great piece of no, advice. For sure. And it, and it means calling great. out. Yeah, it feels great when someone does it. You're like, oh, hey, thanks, buddy. Yeah, exactly. It takes it off you. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, okay. That's something that you can do tomorrow. Um, and then moving forward, I think, is just admitting that, like, the way we've learned about racism, as you hit on earlier, Lizzie, like, I don't see color. I think we all know that that's no longer acceptable, but there's so much unlearning that has to happen before yeah. things have to change. And so be open to that uncomfortable unlearning process. And when someone tells you something, just, just listen, you know, listen, and then like kind of take it back for a couple of days, see what you can do about that, and then try to have a discussion about it. And then finally, like take ownership of the change that you want to see. So there's tons of you know, biopic individuals out there that want to do this work, but it's, I mean, racism was created by like white people. And so like, it's not our job as biopic people to dismantle it. And so like have an active role in taking down racism and understanding that that's going to be like really challenging and terrible and you're probably going to alienate people. Um, but like, if you're in it, you got to be in it, you know, you just got to, yeah. Yeah. Do the work. All right. One last question for you um before we let you go you recently got married right i did yeah in a time of covid <laughs> how how did you make that work and how, how how many people were there what did you what was the story what how'd you, you do it safely you not yeah. worried about that <laughs> i am a registered minister i want to say that right now because yeah, there I've are some several weddings we are we 
we know a couple of other radio personalities, podcast personalities that refer to themselves as Dr. Mr. Reverend. And I am literally a Dr. Reverend yeah. and a Mr. I guess too. But I'm, I, I, I know weddings. Weddings is my thing. I've officiated awesome. a, a number of them. So, so I want to know more. Tell us, tell us how yours was. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was a whirlwind and it was maybe not my best decision, but I'm really glad I did it. So we got engaged in March. So like right when the pandemic started happening, but we've been dating for eight years at this point. Uh Um, And he's a doctor too. He's internal medicine at UChicago. And so I kind of just, we both realized that COVID isn't going away. And so waiting a year doesn't make sense. And then it was probably going to be two to three years and that wasn't what I wanted. And so we basically found a weekend in October when we were both off, <laughs> and then we just, <laughs> it was such a medical wedding. Um, that is so <laughs> romantic. It, it, like it really is. It was like we were both off. We found it was mid October, so we were because we were committed to doing most everything outside or having what we would call a transitional space. So having like one wall down, basically like huge barn doors open. Um, and so we found a venue that could do that. Um, and oh, you we didn't do Zoom, you did in person. We did in oh, person, yeah. yeah. And we basically just had, um, it was mostly just families. It was about, you know, like 40 guests. And we all, it was, the area was huge. It was for like 250 people. And we basically just like, and every, but we were like really strict, right? So everyone got a PCR test within 72 hours of like oh, being there that was negative. Was that all by honor system or did you require them to like show it to you? So I'm glad I didn't have to ask anybody for it because I was going to, but everyone just showed it to me, which is really nice. Good, good. Um, so everyone was tested 72 hours. And, and again, this is like not CDC approved. I just want to be real honest about yeah, that. Yeah. Right? These were rules that we made up. So everyone had a negative um, COVID 72 hours before that. We were out of work a week leading up to our wedding so that we would have low exposures um, from that. And then everybody wore, basically you wore a mask unless you were actually eating a morsel of food at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically just sat people by their households. It was like the weirdest wedding, honestly. Like these tables were like spread out in this huge area. People yeah. sat in their households and they just basically had a meal and we were blessed somehow. It was like 60 degrees on October 17th. And so we basically did most of it outside or with everything open in good circulation. So, and we did not host a super spreader event. It's been confirmed. No good. Way. I want, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at here. Um, so d- did you have like the dancing though, where everyone's getting close? Okay. So you didn't do that. Okay. It was basically like an ultra conservative religious wedding without mm-hmm. much the religious part <laughs> a lot of drinking, right so like there's no dancing there was no like we didn't stay out late because drunker people get the more oh my god correct sounds like the movie correct Hitler's. no but drinking is the problem drinking is when people make those bad decisions yeah, they keep their true. mask down they get a little too close you get a little too relaxed yeah mm-hmm. like we, every- I mean, we had a lot of alcohol but we ended it by 11 and so you can't yeah, yeah. so it was safe well, in the great. white house very good congratulations, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That rose that rose garden event haunted me though. It happened like a week before we were supposed oh, to get married. Yeah. Like, oh my god, this is gonna No. Yeah. I'm sure you took much more care. It sounds like they're much more separated and everyone's think, wearing masks. I think I think my dog takes more care and she has yeah. she she doesn't have a mask. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Malone. Uh so do you have any resources that you might be able to share or uh websites you might be able to send our listeners to if they want to learn more about this? Yeah, definitely. So um, there's a med ed portal through the AAMC, um, and it's basically called Anti-Racism in Medicine Collection. So it's all these amazing curriculums that have been developed already, or articles that you can learn or refer your residents or medical students to, and someone's already done a lot of the good work for you. So it's honestly, the website is basically mededportal.org backslash anti-racism. Lots of really awesome stuff there. All right, cool. We'll put a link to that too. So Um, Thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective with us. Yeah, guys. I don't really know if I said too much, but there's a link for you at least. Oh, thanks. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, bye. Congratulations on being married and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Pave, who'd you vote for? You know, I was really on the fence about this one. The thing is, I am really benefiting from racism. Yeah. yeah. And so I kind of wanted to keep going because I go by Kevin when I need to. Yeah. 
<laughs> but then the other part of me doesn't want to see the world destroyed. So it's yeah. a balance, you know? This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.